Twitter has changed to X, whatever is going on there is a reminder of the importance of owning your data and owning your social network so that you have control over what happens on there. Mastodon instances are that to a T. It is your space. You create it. You control it. It's yours. It's isolated to you. You can share and connect with anybody that you choose to. You choose what you see. You choose who sees what you do. You have a lot more individual control over your content, who sees it, and who engages with it. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the B-Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I ld.tv. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Andrew Castle. Andrew is now a seasoned veteran of the podcast as he is our first guest to have a second appearance. Uh, You may know him as the senior social strategist at Middlebury College in the beautiful state of Vermont. And the cool thing about Andrew is he's an early adopter. He's on the fringes of social media and content creation. And even though Mastodon, which is a, a social network, social media platform in the metaverse, that Web3 stuff, uh, even though that's been around apparently for a few years, I'm recently hearing about it. Uh, if it weren't for Andrew, I may I may still not have heard about it. So that's what we're talking about in this episode. So here to give us a primer on Mastodon and talk about all things surrounding why a Web3 approach to content publishing and community building may be the future is Andrew Castle. Andrew Castle, thanks again for being here. You're a frequent flyer on the podcast now. It's my pleasure. And uh, can I just compliment you on the guests that you have been talking to? You talked to Day and, um, and oh gosh, I've Ashley. blanking on her. And Ashley, yes, uh, just recently. They are fantastic. And so they talked about very, very, very great stuff about email, which is really good, basic things. I think we're going to talk about something that's a lot more experimental. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they talked about the sort of dinosaur of communications, uh, of digital communications email. And and here comes Andrew talking about this revolutionary, weird thing. I still I I still am not sure I understand it. And I and hard as I try, I like I got okay, so we're talking about Mastodon. Yes, we're talking <laughs> about Mastodon. That's right. That's right. Okay. So Mastodon, um, Tell me, tell me, like, what's your, what's been your experience like with Mastodon and tell us what is it? Just give us a broad overview. Sure. Broad overview of Mastodon. It was created by someone who wanted to uh, start a social networking platform that wasn't reliant on an algorithm. It wasn't reliant on uh, advertiser driven base. It was more of um, the old idea of you meet people that you're interested in and you form your own connections. It really is outside of anything that we sort of associate with social media. And that's why I refer to it as social networking. And one of the ways I describe that 
is social media is you're on a tightrope on a unicycle juggling and every day you're out there trying to be better and faster and fancier and everyone's like look at me look at me look at me over here and social networking is more like i don't know i'm hanging out i'm going to post something i'm interested in and maybe people will find it and maybe people won't it's a lot more personal and so the idea of the mastodon also it's open source open access Anybody can build a Mastodon instance that could be just them, them and their friends and their community, their town, their school, their institution, their organization. So it really is. And I saw um, Donna Tellerico posted as X was doing its whole thing. She's a great thinker and a writer in the higher ed space. Um, she mentioned that the, the X Twitter's changed to X, whatever is going on there is a reminder of the importance of owning your data and owning your social network so that you have control over what happens on there. Mastodon instances are that to a T. It is your space. You create it. You control it. And it is a bit of a learning curve to figure out how to wrap your mind around it. One of the biggest ways to describe it is like email. You have your very own email. But you can email anybody in the world and you can receive emails from them, but your email is yours. Same with your Mastodon account. It's yours. It's isolated to you. You can share and connect with anybody that you choose to, but people who don't have your email address can't send you emails. If you're on another social media platform, people can send it to you. Just you get those ads, you get all the algorithm shows it to you because it's just figures you might be interested in it. That is not how a Mastodon instance works. You choose what you see. You choose who sees what you do. You have a lot more individual control over your content, who sees it and who engages with it. So it's been around for a few years. It had, you know, it was it had a big burst of activity last fall. That's when I first discovered it because when Elon Musk bought Twitter, I was like, I don't want to be on that platform anymore. <laughs> I I just can see where it's going. Um, you know, one of those things they say when someone tells you who they are, believe them. And Elon showed us who he was right away, walking into the Twitter building with a sink, like he's some sort of I don't know. Um, I have no idea what's going on in his mind. You know, he's a billionaire. Billionaires think differently about things. I'll never understand. But what I knew, it was a platform that uh, wasn't going to be friendly to me, the things I believe in, the ways that I approach thinking and wanting to share. And so I heard about Mastodon at that time. And John, when I first logged on to a Mastodon instance, one can talk about how that works in just a little uh -huh. bit, because I think that's an important part of it. But... It was a feeling, that same feeling I got when I first discovered Facebook, that, oh my gosh, this is a place of true connection. This is a place of seeing the things that I am interested in, not what the algorithm thinks I may be interested in, but just the stuff that I really, really like. And I just immediately embraced the idea I spent all of my holiday break like really digging into what uh, Mastodon could be, the potentials of that, and how it could inform my work uh, in higher education. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good point. Um, that's one thing that helps me understand is the lack of algorithm, you know, yes. and, and that's, I think, because I remember when um, 
I remember, I even remember when Facebook was around and then Facebook came out with the news feed and that was a big, that was a big, people were so mad about that. Yes. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then it was like, uh, and then it was like, cause yeah, you used to have to like go to somebody's wall and like, yeah. you'd have to like, it like knock on their door almost and, <laughs> and interact with them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, the, the, that, a... that, that feeling is exactly what starting on Mastodon is like. It is, oh, I can keep, whenever I visit it, Mastodon, my instance, when I scroll through there and I, it takes me about 10 minutes of scrolling to remind myself, I have not seen one advertisement. Mm. Not yeah. one. And my brain is so used to seeing them and just incorporating that branding and that marketing that just comes through. Like on TikTok, Every fourth TikTok you look at is a promoted TikTok. Every fourth one. It doesn't feel that way because they've constructed the platform so beautifully. But every fourth piece of content. And on Instagram, how many ads do you see? Promoted oh posts, suggested posts coming in from everywhere. You got to work really hard. Facebook, LinkedIn even. like, And then, of course, Twitter, X, and all those places. Advertise, of course, the platform's got to make money. And that is one of the things about Mastodon is how do they make money? And it comes from really, that's the other part that I like it. It's from this place of, I wanted to create this for me. And if you want to take advantage of it, great. I don't mind here. You can have a place on my server. I've already got it. You don't take up very much room. I'm not trying to make money off of it. I'm trying hmm. to build a community that could change over time. Obviously, most social networks and social platforms do. But for right now, it is ad-free and it's, it's a place of safety and comfort that you can really restrict who you – it's such a big thing to talk about. I don't want to just ramble on with that because you have questions and I want to make sure that I focus and take <laughs> advantage of this brief time we have to talk about this platform that is so different from everything else. No, I appreciate you you, you talking because because uh, it's it's super helpful and uh, learning new insights here even as we go. And I think that like um, and you mentioned earlier the difference between social networking and social media, and I see that like I mean I, I see that so clearly like with um, you know the stuff that I post you know on LinkedIn or um, TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Um, the sort of like closed communities that I have are so much more rich experiences than, than a TikTok or something where the algorithm, you're really dependent on the algorithm to get your content out there. Um, so at, like I'm a abstract painter. And so that that's TikTok is kind of where I hang out with that. And, and, and that's kind of part of the strategy. It's like, I want to, I want my work to reach new audiences, but then there are like people that know me and like, um, know my family and stuff like that. So when I post on my private Instagram or when I post on Facebook, it's like tons of comments, tons of likes immediately. I can get immediate feedback on something because I know that people are engaged in that sort of community mindset. And that's what I love. And I wish there was some sort of, I wish there was a better way. And maybe this is it to, to build that type of community that I experience on Facebook with my friends and family in a, in a setting where, you can interact with strangers that you want to interact with. Cause even on LinkedIn, you're so uh, a slave to the algorithm. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and people don't even really engage much on LinkedIn. Even just getting a comment is like, you know, sometimes just getting a comment is like, Oh my gosh, I'm surprised. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm going to say this. I was at a conference recently and someone who worked at TikTok mentioned the algo 
And I had never heard the algorithm referred to like it was a coworker that you have a nickname Mm -hmm. for. Like, oh, I visited Algo's office. But you're absolutely (laughs) right. We have become so uh, trusting of the Algo and what it brings us and the personalization of these platforms. And it's so easy to not think about consciously that it is written by someone who it wants to benefit that company. The algo wants to keep you on that platform. It wants to keep you engaged as a vested interest in your time being there because that's how they make money is through your attention. So the thing that you said about where can I go to share these things with people who really care about them, that when I get engagement from them, it's true engagement that I want to see, that they're interested in this. And a Mastodon instance is exactly that because you have crafted the people who see the posts. You've accepted their follow requests. You follow them. And so a Mastodon instance, when you first go and you go to uh, join Mastodon, it says, what instance do you want to be a part of? And that's sometimes like overwhelming for people who are starting out. They're like, no, I didn't want to just choose for me. Like when you first logged into Twitter a few years ago, it was like, okay, follow five people, follow five more, follow five more. And you're already telling that those machine learning models, who you are and what you want to see. And so by the time you get to your feed being created, there's things in there. They're like, oh, I like this already because you've already made it. Mastodon instance, join an instance. How do I even pick which one that is? There's ones for books, for art, for dancing, for sculpting, for engineering, for science, all those sort of things out there. Um, You can find a community that's already geared to the things that you're interested in. I joined an instance that was based on Star Trek, big Star Trek fan. And immediately when I joined that instance and I went to the home feed and I went to the local feed of all the people that were there, so much Star Trek. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel at home here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that choice of where to start can be overwhelming, but the thing is you can always change it. Mm. So if you're existing, I had an instance that I really enjoyed for a long time. The creator of the instance was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I've, it's just growing too big. It's more time. I have family issues. I'm going to have to take the instance down. You have to go somewhere else. Uh, and so, okay, great. No problem. I migrated. You can move all of your followers. You can't move your content, but you can move all your followers and the people that you follow over to the new place. So there's always this option. But there is the start. Like, where do I begin? There's plenty of ways to search out there, plenty of search tools for finding the Mastodon instance that's right for you. And here is the big challenge for higher ed. What instance do you join as a higher ed place? For the place that I work, Middlebury College, back in November, I was reading about Mastodon. Someone was posting, it was like on the eve of Elon Musk's takeover. And all the people that I follow on Twitter were like, I'm out of here. This is done. I can't be part of it. And I was like, "Where? oh my gosh. And someone mentioned Mastodon. So I was able to go over and get the Middlebury on the Mastodon.social one, like the main one. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, but some instances are closed down. There's a waiting list. You have to uh, apply to get into them. So there's a little bit of a thing to get into these places. But once you're in there as a higher ed place, then what do you do? Like, what content do you share? How do you start building an audience? And this is the next thing that I always like to talk with professionals about, especially who work in the digital communication space and social media space and share all of it. Mastodon feels so empty and so alone because it does not give you 
impressions or reach metrics. Mm. Those I found when I started working in Macedon for my work was like, who's seeing it? With no comments, with no boosts or reposts, who is seeing this content? I have no way of reassuring myself that 10,000 people saw it. Well, somebody saw it because it had 10,000 impressions or it had a reach of 500. Okay, at least 500 people. With all of those, suddenly, how do you justify having this social platform? And it goes back to one of these things that when I was starting a new job, I was like, oh, man, I wish there was just a way to know how many people liked this content that I was sharing. Like, I just wish there was a way to know how many people just liked it. Like, right. And I realized there is that. It's our follower count. It's one of the most basic metrics that are out there. And we ignore it all too often because those followers could be bots. They could be people who are, you know, not even having, they could be anything. So we start discounting, fo- like you have 24,000 followers on Instagram. Sure, that's great. But who are those 24,000 people? Are 5,000 of them just, you know, random things that were created in some factory somewhere? But with Mastodon, every follower you get is a person. So that becomes the measurement of success because that's always the thing. I have a goal. I want to reach 100 followers. So if I can get five, I can get 10. If I can get 10, I can get 20. If I can get 20, I can get 50. If I can get 50, I can get 100. Every platform that we've ever started out in higher ed started at zero followers. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. When we launched those things a decade ago, no one was following people worked really hard to build those follower accounts and it is such hard work but it's so when i get a new mastodon follower i have a dopamine rush unlike anything else that i have felt (laughs) in years because i have worked to create a piece of content to share it strategically with an audience and say then someone's like i like what you're doing i want to see more of that please continue And so that has become the measurement of success for higher ed is just building those followers. It's hard. I do not recommend it because it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You've got to give something up if you want to start a Mastodon instance. But what I do believe is that this is the future for social networking as the algorithm becomes more and more overwrought with just a storm and chaos of content that everybody's creating. It's so messy and loud out there and people are really, really want somewhere quiet. And that connects me to the thing I wanted to talk about also, which was threads. Yes, I did want to ask you about that. When you sign up for threads and you go through and you start that account, you be like, hey, threads is great. We're going to do all these things. One of the things they mention in there is that threads will eventually federate with all the things in the Fediverse, which is what they call Mastodon instances. And they call it that because it's decentralized social networking. It's a federated space. I mentioned Star Trek before. For Star Trek fans, one of the big things with Star Trek is the United Federation of Planets. They are the Vulcans, the Andorians, the humans, the Tellarites, all those things are all working together. They all have their own individual planets. They have their own individual cultures. They have their own individual languages, but they all work together for the greater good Greater good in the United Federation of Planets. That mm. is what the Fediverse is. Each Mastodon instance is like one of those planets with its own culture and its own people and its own understandings, but they all work together in this federated space. Threads 
is like the most gargantuan Mastodon instance that has been created yet. Hmm. And eventually it will be able to connect with all of those other decentralized federated instances. So that email analogy from before, if you have your email and suddenly you had your Hotmail account, you can only talk to Hotmail people. But then one day it's like, now you can talk to people who are on Gmail as well. And suddenly your world of communication has just gotten bigger. So that's one of the, the, the hopes I have for Threads is that it will eventually connect to all these other Mastodon instances. And for that owned part of owning your platform, I've started conversations with the IT department where I work of what if we had our own Mastodon instance for the college. Some universities and places have started their own Mastodon instance. The benefits of this, internal communication. Everybody who, you get your email, you get your Mastodon ID. Same thing. You, you're onboarded, you're handed this stuff. Suddenly, hmm. you have a social networking way to connect with all the people that you work with. Students, staff, faculty. It's very internal. It's not a newsletter through your email. It's not an Instagram post in a story that's going out to the student community and the wider community. You can really use it to bolster and strengthen internal morale, community, communications, crisis communications, celebrations, really can keep that stuff right with the people that you want to see it inside your institution. And it just takes, again, sort of this idea of this is beneficial for us. We want to put in the time and effort to create a Mastodon instance for our school. I think it has great benefits. The people that I've talked to have seen some of those ideas and can see that benefits, but it's just, there's so many other things going on right now that you go to the IT office, be like, hey, let's start a Mastodon instance. They're gonna be like, um, <laughs> I have 2,500 tickets from people who just need to turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> I can't worry about trying to create this new thing for you, social media manager. Maybe, you know, put in a ticket and we'll talk about it years from now. So all of these things, John, I wanna make sure that I stress. This is stuff that I'm experimenting with. I see value in it for the future. I can see what it might be when we just get tired and worn out of trying to, game the algorithm when machine learning and ai is really really kicking in and is very mainstream when generative ai searching is now what's happening on your google versus keyword seo now how can we do it for this ai seo what's that going to look like mastodon instances and all of that can really really help about three years from now maybe is sort of what i'm imagining but it really is something that it takes work, it takes time, it's unusual, it's weird. People, it's a huge learning curve, but it has such great benefits. Again, I was going on there for 10 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> You're right. I think it does take a lot of work. And I think it's, yeah, the, the follower count is probably going to be a lot, you know, yeah, you're going to have to work a lot harder to get followers. I, it, I, is, I, it is, it is a, say. it is a lot of work. It is. And it also... It really takes confidence in the work that you are doing. There is, and you mentioned this yourself, this feeling of I post a piece of content and then nobody liked it. Nobody comments on it. Nobody shares it. And I can see that people saw it, you know, because, you know, 400 people saw it or whatever, but I didn't get anything back from that. 
Then you start to go down. That was it? Maybe it wasn't good. Should I take it down? Should I put something else up there? Should I get a picture of a sunset? Should I put a girl <laughs> sitting under a tree reading? Because I know people are going to like that. It's one of those things a where Brene why? Brown quote. Yes, <laughs> yes. Let's cat. Let's do a Barbie meme. So all of these things with Barbie memes are great. No, I'm not denigrating that. I think Barbie is um, it's such a great cultural moment for yeah. people who are embracing parts of themselves that they might have put aside. Anyway, we're not talking about Barbie or Taylor <laughs> Swift right now, unfortunately, because we could do that anytime. But when you share something out there, you're sharing, it goes back to why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because I want to tell this story. I'm not sharing it for you. I'm sharing it for me. And in higher ed, we social media, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years ago now, it was, oh my gosh, here's a way that we can tell our story in a whole new way. And people engage with it because, oh, this is interesting. I'm hearing from this place that I have a vested interest in. I went there. I'm curious about it. Oh, here's a fun story about something that they're doing. Oh, this is great. I like this. I want to know more about it. And so it was this idea of sharing. It came from a place of generosity before it started turning into really super big marketing. Yeah. But once... Brands started really embracing Facebook for marketing over storytelling or communications. That was exactly what Meta now and Facebook then was counting on because they knew that brands would want to do it. And now, of course, the only way to cut through all the organic noise is with paid. This idea of Facebook and Instagram being free marketing for you, that ship has sailed so long ago. And we are clinging to that idea so desperately so desperately while the platforms move on without us. I remember Adam Masseri last summer said, we are going to prioritize reels over picture posts. We're just going to do it. So sorry, your pictures won't be seen. Just right. said it right to us. We are manipulating the algorithm for our own benefit. And if yeah. we don't think that they are doing that all the time anyway, we are misleading ourselves. That's why places like Mastodon, which are free of algorithms, and advertising is this frontier space, which is fascinating to me. And what can we do with these? And how can we actually use it to tell our story? But then how do we grow an audience on there? That's the tricky part. Yeah. The way that you say it, you know, like, you know, being confident in what you're doing on Mastodon and having something of value reminds me of getting people to sign up for your, like an email list or something like that. Like offering something that there's an exchange there. Um, it, which is, which is hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to get, it's hard to grow your email list. You know, it's not like TikTok and people just, just, you know, you, like I'll post something on TikTok and then I'll check it five minutes later. It's got 300 views. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's crazy. Um, uh, e even that, even that is crazy, but like, but growing, growing an email list like that, you know, is, is hard just as I imagine, you know, growing your following on Mastodon, but it's probably a lot more um, targeted, like my email list. uh, I have a newsletter that I, that I send out weekly and it's very slow growth, but I, what I like about it is it's every person that signs up, I would say 80% of the people that sign up for it are very quality, uh, signups. And my open rates are like 50 and 60%, you know? And like, that's what I want. Like I want a community where I'm, I'm putting something out there and people are getting value from it and they're looking forward to hearing from me, you know, and that's, that's like a dream scenario for, I think on social media. It absolutely is. I mean, then that you're 
you're totally 100% right. Every follower that you get, every sign up you get, you know someone who really cares about that. It's not, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to log on because the algorithm has shown me a pretty picture right now. I'm just going to follow it. Like it's a conscious choice. And one of the things with Mastodon instances where like hashtags are super important on mm-hmm. Mastodon, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, hashtags are fun. You can follow them. Like they have some value on there still, but not like the old days of five years ago. <laughs> When, yeah, yeah, yeah. When hashtags really were, when I remember first describing hashtags to people, it's like a campfire. Like gather around my hashtag and we'll talk about a thing that we like together. Or it's like a filing cabinet. You can open up that hashtag and you can see all the stuff that goes on there. That's why I include hashtags, I would tell people. Now that is absolutely back the case again for Mastodon. You tag higher ed and you can see how many people have been using the tags. And that is a content tip that I will give for people who are curious about using Mastodon. As you're creating your content in Mastodon and you're creating a caption, you're writing the caption, use a hashtag, it'll tell you how many uses of that hashtag have happened within a uh, time frame. Try to pick ones that have more than 10, 15, 20 uses in the time period that it shows because there's a greater chance of your content being seen and then you getting that increased follower count, which is the goal that I've set for myself. So if you put in a hashtag, hashtag higher ed, and it has 10 people doing it, okay, that has some value. Hashtag higher education, that has 25 people using it. Okay, that is now within the window of hashtag uses that I want to have in my content. If I do hashtag sunset, and there's five people like, okay, I got to pick a better hashtag than that and just not hashtag that word because I want to make sure that these hashtags are how people are going to be seeing this content. I'm going to find it because that's how you search on Mastodon is by hashtags. I want to see stuff for um, hashtag you know, social strategy. So you put in social strategy and then you'll see the people that are posting about that. Are like, oh, this is good. This is going to follow this person, follow this person. Um, so the hashtags are so important on the Mastodon instance. And if you've been missing the value of your hashtags, that's a place to go to get new value from those tools. That's good to know. So you're saying it relies primarily on hashtags, whereas like something on like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, it's kind of like a pl- an added plus, like you might get some extra reach from adding the hashtags, but... Mastodon, yeah. it's like it lives and dies by the hashtag. It really, really, really does. And, you know, on Instagram, I follow, like if I, I do theater a bunch. And if I'm in a play, hey, cat, if I'm in a play um, and I add the follow the hashtag for that play, then I get to see all the people that are posting about that play. But other than that, hashtags are kind of meaningless for me on Instagram now. They just have lost because the platform has developed such strong search Just text-based search for whatever you put in there, uh, which is great for searching about normal things, social listening, social media monitoring. It's really, really, really helpful for brands and higher ed and our work as communicators to be able to just do a quick text search. And Sprout relies on that. Whatever monitoring media tool you have really relies on that robust search tool. And that's why Mastodon is so tough, really, really tough work frustration, sadness, all the self-doubt. If you find yourself spiraling down into those dark places of our own psyches, 
it's it's either it's like you got to condition yourself to get over it and face those things inside yourself or just don't do it it's not worth it's not worth the mental health anguish of making five posts and having no engagement which is just heartbreaking but <laughs> but you know again it comes back to why am i telling this story who am i telling this story for am i telling it to get people to see it or am i telling it because i believe it should be told and that is such a weird balance in higher ed because for social media managers, as we know all too well, social media managers in higher ed are always the people who are like, what are you doing? How is your job worthwhile? What have you done? I could do your job like you're doing it. I post on social media all the time. Why, why do we even have you? Couldn't we just have our admin do it? So mm -hmm. this whole thing that we struggle with of how we're always on display, always having to prove our worth, always having to demonstrate the value of our work, Mastodon makes that really hard to do. Whereas other social media is like, what, what's the value? I told this story to half a million people last month. And leadership, your team members, anybody can be like, wow, that's a lot of people. Like, yeah, it is a lot of people. That's why you pay me. And so being able to put it out there and demonstrate that audiences have seen it has great value for our work professionally. But for the purpose of why we are doing this, it comes back to, I want to tell a story. And this is the story that I want to tell. Take it or leave it. Here it is. I did it. That's where art comes from as well. Mm -hmm. As you no doubt understand very, very, very intrinsically. When you see a vision in your mind of something that you want to portray to people, I've got to tell, I've got to get it out. I've got to get it out of my head. I've got to get it out of my heart. I've got to put it somewhere on some sort of material. That's the best kind of content. When we see a story of something that's happening with a student or a faculty member on campus, like, oh my God, I've just got to tell people about this. You tell that story and then it's, you did the thing. But yeah. we're uh, part of our pay is relying so much on that close, like how many people saw it? How many people liked right. it? How many people engaged with it? How many link clicks did you get? It's like, I didn't do it for that. I did it because it's an amazing story. That's so weird to walk that line of storytelling mm -hmm. and marketing. It's so strange. And Mastodon helps really clarify, like, I am doing this to tell the story. I'm not doing this to get a like. Yeah. And it's so, that's so hard with, uh, with anything like, like storytelling, you know, video, social media, the, the ROI is, is probably very gray. Um, you're, you're probably influencing an ecosystem that is then going to produce fruit for you, but it's, it's hard to know exactly where the inputs were having the effect, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, the thing that you just said made me think of, uh, you know, Vincent van Gogh. Like, he's creating beautiful artworks that are just sitting in his room, no one's seeing them. They're not on display. They're not being shown in galleries. They're certainly not being sold for millions of dollars while he's alive. But after that, it gets appreciated. The contents get seen and understood. Unfortunately, in higher education, I can't be like, oh, my posts, people are going to love them in 10 years. You guys, oh, my God, this content is going to kill in the 2030s. But like, well, we kind of need a class of students next fall. Maybe you could do some stuff. <laughs>
That helps us stave off the enrollment cliff and not yeah. just be like art for art's sake here on these right. platforms. So <laughs> it is being able, that's one of the, the creator thing is like, what can I do that feeds that creativity of like, oh, this is a beautiful piece of art. But at the same time, I'm going to get a butt in a seat in the class of 2028. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how do you? It's weird. It's weird. But it's the life that we live every day as content creators in higher ed. It's like, trust me, guys, when I die, enrollment numbers are just going to skyrocket. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that, man. It's going to be fantastic. They're going to yeah. really understand me then. Like, um, maybe then we should find someone who we understand now and yeah. you can go off. But it, it's that. It, it is that. Like, why are we doing this? Why do we do this art? Because we are artists. We're writers. We're photographers. We're videographers. We're, you know, sculptors of content. And, you know, Michelangelo was great. He was a sculptor of content who got paid big bucks and was able to display in some of the most high, the highly valued platforms of his time, cathedrals and things like that. You know, that's social media of the Renaissance. And so we have those things too. And it's just how do we, how do we make ourselves fulfilled as creators and at the same time do our jobs to make sure that we are sharing the opportunities for people who are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old that want to be their own creators and be their own artists of diplomacy or science going on into the future. It's such a fascinating yeah. job and I love it so much. Yeah, it's great. Quick break here. I have a question for you. Have you ever had to manage the production of a video before for your school where you were the person that had to coordinate all the scheduling, like you had like five people that needed to be interviewed for this thing and you had to juggle all the schedules and figure out how to line them up for individual slots miraculously on the same day. And on top of that, you had to talk to you, like your facilities guy and make sure the door to the engineering lab was going to be open at a certain time so the crew could get in there and film some B-roll. You had to coordinate volunteers to be in the footage and, and blah, 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 and, 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 right? Let me tell you something. Working with an outside video vendor should not look like this. Unfortunately, I've worked with enough video folks to know that the mainstream school of thought is they will coordinate the crew and all the production stuff, the editing, etc., and they will expect you to coordinate all your folks. And I'll be honest, sometimes there's stuff that the video people just can't coordinate for you. Like, I'm probably not going to email your college's president out of the blue to ask them to be in this video and to coordinate their schedule when they've never heard of me or this project. Like that just makes more sense coming from you at least to get their initial buy-in. But as much as possible, your job should be to get buy-in from all the right people and then introduce those stakeholders to the video producer to coordinate, which is not you. Unfortunately, we live in a world where it just doesn't work like that most of the time. In fact, I talked to a marketing director at a pretty well-known art school recently who told me he hired this video crew to film a couple program promo videos and they paid a lot of extra money. This was a bit of a splurge is the impression I got. And they got two videos out of the deal. And he said to me, all that money we paid and I still had to coordinate everything. Like we paid a premium for someone to do these videos and I was doing all the grunt work. So here's the deal. At Unveiled, one of the things we take really seriously is making sure the process is easy on you. Especially that pre-production process, which is where a lot of the not fun stuff tends to show up. 
So whether we're working together through our video storytelling subscriptions, a big commercial, or maybe a smaller one-off video project, know that in addition to delivering a great end product, we also have our eyes on making that a smooth and oftentimes fun journey along the way. And even after it's done, we want to make sure you're set up for success, which is why we give you all the raw footage, all that B-roll and interview footage to repurpose however you want at no extra charge. So if you have video needs right now, don't let the management of those projects stress you out. We are your partners in taking as much work off your plate as possible. So if that's you, I want you to head over to unveiled.tv. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv and book a call with me. And let's talk about how we can best support you. All right, back to the show. Um, so my, my next question is for a higher ed marketer wanting to experiment with Mastodon. Yeah. Um, I feel like I am like a, uh, maybe a mirror image of of the people that try things and they don't work out. And I feel like, you know, all my whole Instagram feed is gurus where apparently they just woke up one morning, had an idea they they put a Facebook ad out there and now they're making $500 million overnight. You know, it's just like that frustrates me in this world of digital marketing because it's so hard and there aren't enough people talking about how hard it is. I mean, in, in trying to understand Mastodon, I got on there. Um, I, my first toot, these are called toots. <laughs> they were called toots. Now they have, they've backed off a little bit of calling them toots because it is a pretty silly thing but then tweets were silly too but yes that was the first piece that content we're called was like hey let's go let's put out some toots and what the story of that i'll tell you a little story about the toots is the creator of mastodon is not an english english is not uh their first language uh so it's developed in europe and so when they were like what should we call these someone joked about you should just call them toots (laughs) and he's like okay toots it shall be and so then it was like oh that has, you know, yeah, other yeah. sort of connotations in the English language outside of what we're doing. So that's why they, they've sort of tried to figure out a different word for them. But toots works. Toots works. Yes, they are toots on Mastodon. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I've had this business idea for years because every time I order something from Amazon and I am always hoping it was made in America, but the dead giveaway is reading the instruction manual and it's like the, the worst grammar. I mean, bless their hearts. They try <laughs> to write yes. these things in a sensical way. Um, and my business, this is a side, side note, but I like, I feel like if you could understand um, these like Chinese companies, these, these Asian companies that, you know, what they're trying to do on Amazon is, a, is, is appeal, uh, to a native spe- English speaking, American speaking, uh, audience. If you could just like, con- like s- start a business, like, Hey, I'm going to overhaul all of your copy for an American audience, like pay me to do that. Like, <laughs> I just think like, if, if you could figure out if, if, if I was like one of these smart, like gurus, I feel like I would be a millionaire <laughs> by now because. I don't think anyone's doing this. I'm, I'm so, I'm always shocked at like, I'm like, 
just get one American to, to read this instruction manual. <laughs> uh, John, you're so close to be able to realizing your dream. There's some tools that those the generative AI and AI translation is now becoming so close that you could start marketing your I will translate your instruction manual and localize it for the different places around the United States so that it will read clearly for whatever language you're initially writing it in as we become more of a global market. So generative AI will help you and <laughs> from there you could take a couple of localization classes which are out there yeah, online yeah. and then there's your 500 million dollar you could i'll take there a little piece of that i'll get one percent <laughs> thank you but you're so close to being able to do that generative ai is very very close the thing about that i'm going to talk about that for a second is because and that's a part of mastodon as well is because all over the world large european um, contingent on Mastodon. Uh, it does not have, depending on the instance, it doesn't have natively built into it a translator like it, on Facebook or Instagram or any of the platforms that are logged into Google Translate or things like that. So that's another element of like the authenticity and the truth of what's going on there is if you want, like saying you're doing a language learning and you want to learn more, uh, you want to really sort of immerse yourself in Spanish or French or whatever language you may be learning, you could find a Mastodon instance that's in that language. And then you could live really in that word, really immerse yourself in there as part of your learning. So it's this idea that we've become so, you know, the movie Wally. -E? Yes. And everyone's sitting in their little rolly cars and they're literally fed all of this stuff as they're sitting there. And the humans mm -hmm. have become just fed by machines. That's been a lot of our social interactions over the past, on social online interactions over the past five, seven years has become this. The algorithm says, oh, I know what you want. You want some of this and you want some of this. Oh, you like some of that. Like, just go to Instagram search. If you go to search and you, one of the things, the game I like to play is when I go to search is like, who wins algorithm today? Which mm. of these images am I going to tap on first? Because I am telling the algorithm with that action, it's going to feed me a lot more of that. And I am yeah. influencing my algorithm for the next five days by whatever I choose right now. And we've become to depend on that. People love that personalization. That's one of the strengths of AI and machine learning models in general, a really, really personalized experience. Mastodon instance, you can create a personalized experience, but you have to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not done for you by the algorithm. It is not out there constantly learning about you by what you engage on, what you react. You are doing it. And that's one of the things you mentioned. You went on there. You made a couple of toots. Other people have done that. And it's like, oh, man, I just don't. What do I say on here? Who am I on here? How am I finding people on here? How does yeah. this even work? I don't know. I got so much other stuff to do. I'm not going to invest any time in this. You know, maybe I'll come back to it at some point when it's important to me. And that's what it, that's, social media should always enrich your time online, not be a burden, even if it's something that you do for your work should not be something like, oh my God, I have to log into Facebook now. Ugh. Yeah. If you're feeling that, you know, don't log into Facebook. Don't do it. Yeah. You know, your <laughs> audience is out there being like, oh my God, what is this school going to post on Facebook next? I can't wait to see. Like, I just don't, that does not feel like a sustainable strategy uh, to me for working with your audiences. It should come from a place of authenticity and truth and wanting to tell the story because it's a good story. And Mastodon is so dependent on, I like this content because I saw it, because I looked for it. I wanted it. 
and this creator I will now include in what I follow. There's three rings of Mastodon engagement. There's your home feed, the people that you follow. That's your house, people you invited inside your house, your little party. Then there's a local feed. It's like your neighborhood, the instance that you've joined, all the people that are in there, all the stuff that they're doing, that's your local feed. If you join an instance of all people who love to play World of Warcraft, then inside your local feed is all these people talking about their wow adventures. You know, Maybe they, they went on a raid, whatever it may be. Whatever you're interested in, that local feed is your neighborhood of people of like-minded friends. Then there's the federated feed that goes outside of that, which it shows you what the people of your local feed have been engaging with. It's as close to an algorithm that there is, but it's not. So someone in your local feed likes this piece of content, and the federated feed is, oh, they like this. Maybe you'll like it, too. And so there's that three rings. The home, people you've invited to your house for a party. The local, the neighborhood that you're in. And then the federated, what your neighbors are seeing and doing. And that is how you can start to get sort of an organic sense of what's going on out there in Mastodon and how you can grow the people that you follow. And then there's such a strong follow-for-follow follow culture on Mastodon that mm. you will follow someone and then they'll follow you back because we all want our audiences to grow. We all want people to see the stories that we're telling. And that's how an audience grows on Mastodon, searching out content, liking in it, engaging with it. So you tell me that I think, and I think the last time we chatted, you told me that Middlebury has a presence, like it has an instance on Mastodon. Is that true? Uh, we are part of the Mastodon.social one. We haven't created our own instance yet. That is like something that is being talked about, but haven't you know gone to the place where it's seeing the light of day. But we do have a spot on Mastodon.social. Okay. So what what have you seen? Uh, what, what's been the benefit that you've seen at, at Middlebury from, from being on there? Maybe, maybe just benefit to, to enriching your personal professional life or our students finding Middlebury, um, finding out about the school through, through this or what? So I would say prospective students finding out about the school. No, that is not happening on Mastodon. Mastodon, the people who are following on Mastodon want to know sort of what's happening, the news. It really goes to the communications part of the marketing communications versus the marketing part. So it really is purely a platform where I post things, repurpose content, I put it out there, I grow an audience. It's, again, highly experimental mm -hmm. because I just want to see what can I do, how can I use it. And it's another place that I can say we get so much content sent to us in communications and marketing from everyone. Can you post this? Can you post this? Can you post this? It's not a good fit for here. It doesn't fit in with this content calendar. It's not quite a part of the tactic for this strategy. But you know what? I have a place that everything can go. Mm. On Mastodon, I can share everything there. New paper from a faculty member. I just was first author on this paper. Great. I'm happy to share that over here. And sometimes, you know, they don't care where you've shared it. What they want to hear is that it got shared. Right. They're never saying, like, what was our metrics on that? How many people read it? Like, some people read it, but I posted it out there. You know, the medium is the message, as Marshall McLuhan said back in the 60s and the 70s. So the medium of Mastodon is we are in this place. We are in a new ad-free, algorithm-free space. We recognize the value of being here, and we are investing time and energy by putting content in here to be a part of this conversation. That is what the value has. 
for Middlebury is we are part of developing this environment without trying to say, we want something from you. We're here because we have great stories to tell and we want you to hear them. Yeah, and my, my question in being this ad-free, algorithm-free space, I remember when Facebook was, um, you know, didn't have advertising on it. And I remember, you know, the, the some articles, shareholders were uh, upset because cause there's, they, they were struggling to monetize this platform. And now it is what it is today, which is just, just it's just a whole marketplace, you know, mm -hmm. of, uh, of advertisements and stuff like that. So like twofold question, what do you think is the way that Mastodon would monetize their platform for sustainability? Uh, I mean, obviously if anyone's, if anyone's employed by Mastodon, the money doesn't just grow on the Fediverse or <laughs> No, no, it does not. It does not. Uh, unlike Starfleet where money doesn't matter because we have replicators that could just do it. Yeah. So Mastodon instances, the people who start and build Mastodon instances, some of them are just independently wealthy and they don't need money. And they say, I have millions and I sold a company years ago and I started this thing because I wanted to start it. So I don't need money. So I'm not interested in doing it. I'm doing it out of the goodness of improving the world. Some Mastodon instances are like, hey, please support what I'm doing through the Patreon or other subscription, things like that. Then the people who are on that instance subscribe. And they pay to support it because they believe in it. They like the community. So it's community supported is a big way that most Mastodon instances make money. Uh, and so that's another reason for the monetization. Who's going to pay for it to upgrade it and maintain it? That's why these internal Mastodon instances, I think, are really, really interesting. Because if you're building it as part of your own digital communications infrastructure at your school, then you're not worried about making money on it. You're doing it purely as a communications platform that has social networking components built into it. You're not doing it to monetize it. And that's one of the things that is so confounding about Mastodon is it's not there to be monetized. It's there to empower and enrich. There are other platforms out there where you can make money. And that's what, it's a confusing thing. It, does, it doesn't make sense because usually when something is free, you are the product. Right, right. And that is very different with Macedon. It's like, what am I getting out? What are they getting out of it? And so that's why people, you know, they subscribe. They pay money to the servers. Like, they want to support this idea. Because once you, I could tell you, John, man, once you spend, like, four hours online and you haven't seen a single ad in that time, your brain space just feels a lot more free. Mm -hmm. And immediately when you log on Instagram, it's like, oh, that's an ad. That's a suggested post. And maybe I'm going to mute that person but the money part of macedon that's also a big thing how's anybody making money of it they're not it's from the goodness of their heart and people are paying to support their own thing institutions can benefit from it by creating their own and not worrying about who's going to make money off of that platform so the people that started mastodon itself like the, that's that built this this platform you don't think that they you think they're all just doing it for free or do you they, think yep. they take a cut? Okay. Really? Nope. Nope. Okay. They, they did it for free. That was like, you know, it was like on Reddit, there's all these people like, Hey, I made this chart where you can go in and you can find out, you know, all of these things about what your favorite game of Thrones episode is, you know, people online are very generous at the yeah. start. They do things because they're interested in it. They're fascinated. Can this work? Can I do this? Can we make a place 
that is genuinely free. And mm. that is this spirit. And it's just so, it's one of the things that people don't trust about it is like nothing is free. Nothing is yeah. free. Um, but no, it's not free because the stuff that you put in there is your time, which is the most valuable resource that you have. And the return on investment for your time on Mastodon is content that you really care about. Yeah, I like that. No, that's good. Um, nice to know that people are out there, you know, just doing things out of the goodness of their heart. <laughs> they do. I mean, I live in New England. And so in New England, when you're driving around, and this is probably the case in many other places in the world, you know, you're driving down the street and you see sitting out in the street corner, you know, a dining room table and four dining room chairs and it says free. Yeah. You know, they put a lot of money into buying those dining room tables and those dining room chairs however many years ago, but now they've got new set and they just want someone to get it please someone take this. Hopefully it can make your life better. And that feeling of humanity, of honest giving, of I made this and I think it's useful. I hope you will find it useful as well, is what drives Mastodon instances. And it's one of those things that haters and trolls and the internet love to crush. Anything that comes from a spirit of good, someone mm -hmm. is out there ready to take that down in a minute because, you know, that's why you can't have nice things. <laughs> and this idea of the Fediverse um, appeals to me because, you know, before we started talking, you, you mentioned Be Real. It's a whole other social network. Yes. Um, and so, but, you know, now there's threads and, and there's TikTok and everything. And I would love a, a place that just is like consolidating your debt. <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing like i would love to just consolidate all the logins and all of the different ways that you have to interact with different uh social platforms and maybe that's not how the fediverse works but... no i think i think that you're you're touching on something i believe which is where threads is headed which is you get your Instagram login so you can see the Instagram experience, which is becoming more and more prevalent versus a Facebook experience. And then you can go over to threads. So you have one login, Instagram, which also gets you over to the threads. And threads, it's what's connected to the Fediverse. So I believe this idea of one place to log in to have all of my online social interactions does have a glimmer of possibility through the Fediverse through threads, through Meta's Instagram. And as much as I have a bad taste in my mouth about what Meta is and does and has done and the things that are going on with that company, I think they're on the right track uh, with having threads be able to federate out there into the bigger world. It's closer to that one thing. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, sorry, my, my uh, little alarm went off there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we need those reminders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like notorious for like, I have an alarm that, that reminds me to set alarms for the day. <laughs> <laughs> very important. It's I think just as, a, as a creative person, I just, I'll get so sucked into something and then just forget to show up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hyper-focus like and time blindness is a thing. Don't let them yeah. tell you. <laughs> really. yeah. 
you mentioned B-Real, and I wanted to talk about B-Real really quickly, if that's okay, if we could yeah. take just these experimental things. Because B-Real, I just love. It's one of my new favorite social networking things. I just love B-Real. Um, when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this out. And I, I just really, really love it. It's, again, you know, the people that you care about. You see the thing once. If you don't know what B-Real is, you take one one picture front and back facing camera on your device at one time during the day. It gives you a notification. could come any time during the day. And you share it in the time zone that you've agreed on. And so I just love it because it is, again, back to that thing of I don't need to, I can't upload something into here. Um, the culture is to post something right now, whatever it is that you're seeing. It's not curated really carefully. It's like a little bit of curation that goes on there, but it is so authentic. And I just love the vibe of Be Real. And then my first thought was, how can I use this for work? As it is with any social networking sure. social platform that I go on. It's like, oh, it's going to be great. We can do student takeovers in Be Real. Um, you could have a student, they get their Be Real kit. But one of the things that I came up against was, you can only have one login and be real at a time. You can't toggle back and forth like on Instagram. Uh, and so asking a student to log into your be real and then log out of your be real and then log into the other be real for the, that's too much to ask a student to do. And so then it's like, okay, do I just do it for work? But that's lame. My be reels would all be me sitting in front of my computer working. Yeah. That's not what be real <laughs> is about for a brand. How do you do it for a brand? Yeah, there's ways to do it. You got to have a student crew. If you give them a dedicated device, they might be able to do B reels. And I have seen some higher education places that are doing B reels out there. The one thing that I think it has in common, specifically with Mastodon, is it is social networking and not social media. There is yeah. a discover algorithm in B reel. It's okay, but it's mainly just like a big dump of things. Your friends feed is what makes B reel really great. And so it is another step towards the move away from social media for higher ed and for users in general into this social networking space that has a much weaker or non-existent algorithm based on the content that you create, the list of followers you curate, and what you put the effort into, just like social media used to be. I like that. I, I did uh, brush up a little bit on, on Be Real um, while I was on vacation a month or so ago. And I was like, this is, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, just to, but I, I, I agree. The same thing is like, uh, if it's like, hey, John, like, put, what are you doing right now? Uh, same thing I was doing <laughs> uh, three hours ago, just right. sitting at my computer. Uh, you know, the, the life of a, of a video um, video producer is actually not very sexy. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> That's one of the greatest things about Be Real is it's so boring and mundane. <laughs> when that Be Real notification comes in, like at one o'clock in the afternoon, and you post your Be Real, you are guaranteed to scroll through your friends. Everybody is doing that same thing. I'm sitting and working. Here's my keyboard, and here's my monitor. And it is such a feeling of community. Like, oh, mm. we're all in this together. We're doing this all at the same time. Look at us working. And it's so it's a very, it's a lovely, lovely, lovely feeling. I'm a big fan of the social network Be Real. Yeah, and I, I see the plus side of that. I see how that could be really cool. Um, for now, I'd be curious to see, does that sustain itself over the long haul? Because if you look at just even the way that reality TV has evolved, and as a video producer, I now I have a full deep understanding of how fake every scene is. <laughs> I did shoot one. I shot one reality uh, 
episode for some UK based um, content creation company. It was <laughs> the, the story was about husband and wife. The wife kept cheating on her husband. And so they became swingers together. <laughs> so, you know, like you do, like, you, like do. you do. Yeah. So I went to their house. They live an hour from me. Apparently these, these types of people are right in our backyard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no judgment. That's great. Yeah, totally. Um, they're very nice, nice people. Um, but anyways, just the, the whole process of shooting that, like everything, every shot was was staged was pre-planned and when you think about it like reality itself is super boring you know (laughs) like to sit because like the difference between um 2008 2009 there was like this boom of these survival shows and i remember there was one that was like i think it was um whatever with bear grills like the the one that was Mm. a little more produced but then there was another one i can't remember what it's called where where it's like you know, a guy that just had his own video camera and he would just film like real stuff. And that right. one was so boring to watch. <laughs> Everyone wants, you want to watch Bear Grylls because he's moving, he's doing stuff. He's like, you know, <laughs> he's reaching his hand somewhere and pull out a fish and, you know, <laughs> right. You're seeing, you're seeing things happen. But like, even that's not the reality of surviving in the wilderness. Like it's not. <laughs> and that, you know, that's exactly with all the content that we share across social media. It's not, that's why that authenticity is, is such a big word because you want to make it feel real. Like if you walk into a building on campus, you're going to see these students doing this exact same thing. Probably not. They're probably going to be sitting down quietly, earbuds in, heads down in their computer during their work. They're not going to be smiling and laughing like you see in the view book, but you've got to come up with some sort of theatrical crafted way to tell this story, to make it appealing when you see it online otherwise it is just very boring and who wants to go to you know you could say in your we have classes we have buildings you will learn pay us ten thousand (laughs) dollars that's not a view book that's going to be effective but that's the message that we coat in all of this creation and crafting and editing and storytelling and it's one of the things that as a social media strategist and social content creator we've learned how to go from to blend that what is real versus what feels great to watch just what you were talking about yeah that's great awesome um well this has been great thanks for thanks for coming on again if people haven't listened to the first episode that andrew was on uh we talked about what did we talk about i think just middlebury in general yeah. and uh and uh just stuff in general storytelling you know being on the cutting edge of media, you know yeah, and since that, since then I've been following you, and I feel like maybe we'll make you just like our unofficial, like cutting edge social media correspondent. <laughs> so. I would appreciate, I would love that because I have lots of feelings about generative AI for images, videos, and words, and how we could use that in our storytelling. So if you want to talk again about generative AI, I would love to do that. Okay. I'm always wet. I mean, geez, Google today was like, all right, you're out of the. Um, waiting period or whatever for this generative search or whatever like that and i and i clicked on it i'm like i have no idea what it is another thing i gotta figure out so maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) it is it's a huge thing it is it is really really big and um it's so important and i guess i'll end by pitching that we should really talk about uh generative search and what that can mean uh, for prospective students and for SEO. Uh, Because generative AI search is here, it's here to stay, it's only to get stronger. And what that means for us and what it means for how we 
create web pages, how we create social content, how we create videos, because generative AI searching, those machine learning models look at everything. They watch your videos, they watch, they read what's in the images that you post. They read all of the words, the metadata that you've put in there, the alt text. They go through all of that to return the best answers possible for searchers. And it is a game changer for mm. SEO, for higher education. And it's something that we need to talk about a lot. We don't know what it's going to be like, have no idea where it's going to go, but those conversations need to start. And I would love the opportunity to talk with you some more about that. Absolutely. I'm always up for just other people sending me ideas of things to talk about. It's one less thing my brain has to do. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, people, keep an eye out uh, for that. G a generative uh, search topic. Yeah, come, generative come search, SEO, and all that means. Yes, we'll talk more about that. Okay, great. Always great to see you. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone. Share it with your team, your boss, your dog whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever. My email is john at unveiled.tv. John is spelled J-O-H-N. Or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks. Thanks.